An uplifter is a compelling leader who tries to breathe life and hope into people around them. Who listen and care and guide and help. Whose way of being in the world inspires. Who uplifts with humor and understanding. Who leads by example. Don't judge. Vulnerable. Bold determination. Who are here to create a better world. Who can learn and teach. Who encourages you. Who shines their light to lead other people. Who uses their best self in order to help others. And the life that I like and I work toward that. We are all uplifters. Mwah. Big love. Hey, uplifters. My name is Marcy Walker and I nominate Lisa Crozier for the Uplifters podcast because it's not just a part of who she is. Uplifter and Lisa Crozier are just synonymous. She loves people authentically and thoroughly and her heart only expands with each new person in her world. She seems to always be serving, lifting someone up, which in turn expands her heart and soul. She's helped people be better coaches, be loving friends, and get and stay healthy so that they could be better coaches and loving friends. The ripple effect of her uplifting enriches all who have been in her world, and I'm so glad to introduce her so that others can have the Lisa sparkle in their lives, and I count her in my gratitude daily. She's my personal favorite uplifter. Welcome to the Uplifters Podcast. You just heard Marcy Walker, a woman who raises so many, introducing her late in life, best friend, a term I <laughs> recently heard, who uplifts so many in her community. Lisa Crozier is the epitome of love. She lives and leads and even learns with a heart full of love. And while her journey has been, like all of ours, a challenging one, and a ride, sometimes maybe with more twists and turns than she would have wanted. It has given us, as a result, a very human human who inspires everyone around her to do and be more love. Lisa, thank you for joining us today. Oh, thank you so much. And oh my goodness, that, that introduction just melted my heart, both yours and Marcy's. I am so grateful for the two of you. I am better because of both of you. Absolutely. And, and I had been for a long time. And I'm so grateful for the circumstances that brought us all together. I love that you begin there because I do believe, as you know, that we are the sum total of the people we spend the most time with. And that's a big reason that this Uplifter community was born, because I believe that we are all better when we are together, and that by surrounding ourselves with courageous, open-hearted people, we become more courageous and open-hearted. And I've seen that so powerfully embodied in your life, and I'm just really honored to introduce you to the rest of my community who don't yet know you. There's so many things about your story that I hope we'll get to in this conversation. But I'm curious for you, what experiences or moments do you believe have been most defining for your character and way of being? So 
what I have found for my life, the things that have defined me and that have made me the most who I am were also the things that were the hardest, the most difficult. They weren't the aha moments, the accolades, the applause, the successes. They were the really hard things that I made it through. You know, like one thing that I've shared with you before is that I had kind of a rough childhood. My mom had borderline personality disorder and she, we had, I had some good times. I really did, but I had some really bad times too. You know, she was abusive physically and emotionally and mentally. And I was embarrassed of my childhood. I was embarrassed of where I came from. There were a lot of things. It was loud. There was lots of cursing and screaming and yelling and insulting. I, I don't know that there was a day of my childhood that I can remember, at least out of my teen years, where I wasn't called every name you can possibly come up with. So there's that. And today, you know, I realized at some point in my life that I've really spent my whole life becoming the opposite of that, you know. And then, you know, the way that you and I met was through, I, I had put on a bunch of weight. And I remember sobbing. I remember sitting, actually, it was in my pastor's office. I was working at a church at the time. I remember sitting in my pastor's office sobbing. Saying, I don't know what's wrong. I just keep getting weight. And it felt like the end of the world. You know, it absolutely felt like the end of the world. And it brought me to you and a whole bunch of other people and into a purpose and a direction in life in the, this place, this platform where I got to love thousands and thousands of people, which who'd have sung, you know, that, but if I hadn't gone through that, I'd never be there, you know, and then, and I, I know we're going to be getting into this one. Years later, I went into a deep depression. Some things happened and I became an alcoholic. I used alcohol to cope with my depression. And they had been sober for a little while. And that, you know, going through that experience and becoming involved in recovery and finding purpose there and, and personal healing and spiritual growth like I never could have possibly imagined. I mean, those three things probably are the things that have more than anything else made me who I am. I mean, couple that with family and children and grandchildren and, you know, an incredible mother-in-law and love and friends. and But I would say that the friends and the relationships are way better because of all that. Not like in spite of it, but because of it, because I've changed so much and I've, I've learned who I am, you know, through the course of that. And I've, I've become a better person. I've become someone I like more than I used to. And that's important. I think it's so important for us to share our challenges and our struggles so that we can all learn from them. I, I've often thought about how if my daughter had tried to learn piano simply by hitting the keys and seeing what sound each key made, she might have eventually learned to make something that sounded pretty. But because she sat down with a piano teacher who had studied piano with another piano teacher, she was able to accelerate her understanding much faster and to go much deeper and to create much more complex melodies as a result of the generational understanding. And your life started with some generational lessons 
that were pretty painful to learn. And yet, one of the things that I have witnessed in your story and I heard in your retelling of it is a willingness to learn beyond the wisdom of some of your early teachers, your mother, namely, who was doing the best she could, no doubt, with what she had, but then to bring in other teachers, your friends, your preacher, your community in in healing in so many ways, your mother-in-law, and to allow those teachers to enrich your own understanding and deepen your experience of life. And I think that part of the reason that that happens and why it happened for me in such in those difficult moments is because in order to be taught by somebody and in order to even be willing to listen to them, I have to be able to acknowledge my own need. You know, if I think I know it all and I've got it all taken care of and everything's just fine, I'm probably not going to be very open to learn and grow and listen and change. But in those moments of brokenness, I was ready. In those moments of brokenness, I was open. And I was, I remember, especially, you know, with the alcohol, getting to just that point of, I have no idea what to do. I am totally at a loss. Nothing I have done has worked. Nothing. And I didn't know where else to go. That's a jumping off place. That's a really great jumping off place of surrender and openness. And yeah, starting to listen and learn from so many people. And it's so easy for me for that ego to pop back up again, you know? Because part of what I did, part of the way I coped with everything, um, especially as a child, I was always smart. I was always somebody who could learn. I retained knowledge. I could learn things. I had, I had a lot of faith in my ability to do that. And so I kind of, you know, I work hard. I'm, I've always been a hard worker. I could pick myself up by my bootstraps and make myself better. But in the end, I can do that to a point. You know, and then I also had to realize uh, I, I need some help. I, I'm a human being and I have needs. And, and those moments of desperation brought me to that place. It made me open and just took it to a whole new level. Everything, all of that hard stuff just took it to a whole new level. You know, I think that part of the reason it could go to the level is because of the willingness to try, the willingness to work hard. You know, the, that was all a part of it, too. That all works together. But, um, but I had to have a willingness, you know, as long as I think everything's fine and I'm doing just fine, I'm not going to try anything. I'm not going to try to get better. I'm not going to listen. Right. So you talk about ego a lot in your work and your storytelling. And I think you're starting here to help us see what the intersection is between ego and growth where they are in conflict, where they challenge one another. So tell me a little bit more about your perspective on the role of ego in your life and your journey. So for me, and then for a lot of people that I've seen, ego can manifest in each direction. Most people think of ego as being, you know, thinking you're better than, you know, a superiority. And that can show up, you know, in different areas of life in like thinking you're always right, which there was a time that I did. I used to have such a hard time if anybody like argued with me or anybody pointed out my wrongs or, you know, it can manifest as perfectionism and, and thinking that I, I just have to be perfect. I have to, I'm okay with other people's imperfections. Not mine. I should be better than that. You know, and that was totally an ego thing. But uh, for me and for a lot of us, that 
that side of the ego is really a reflection of the other side, which is an inferiority complex, you know, which was the whole reason I grew up with this really, really strong inferiority complex because of where I came from. I was ashamed of where I came from for a million different reasons. And so I tried to hide it. You know, I tried to only tell people the good things and I tried to be, I tried to be all things to all people. I tried to be a people pleaser. I tried to make everything look the way it's supposed to look and only let them see, you know, the parts that I think that they'll like, you know, and that was all because of that, that actually blocked me from all the things I wanted the most. And I didn't know it was what I was trying for. Really at the core of it all for me, because I am, like Marcy had said, I love people. I love people so much. And I've always been this way. I've always had just this, I'm an extrovert. I, I want to be with people. And I, I want very much to also be loved. I want it to work both ways. But because of all this inferiority stuff, I didn't let people in. I only let them see what I thought that they would like because I wanted them to like me back. But that blocked me from being real, you know, and, and I want to, there's that thing in the Brene Brown book. I love Brene Brown. I absolutely love Brene Brown, where she talks about the difference between fitting in and belonging. And she says that fitting in is you like me because I'm like you. That's what I was always going for. That's what I was trying for, because I didn't know that there was another option, honestly. But belonging is you like me because I'm like me. But I wasn't even acknowledging all of the parts of me because I had so much shame about a lot of it. You know, I had to at some point get to that place where I was willing to face the truth and to be the person that I want to be and also let other people see. And the thing that I've really learned about, you know, relationships with people and, and making a difference in the world and uplifting like what we're talking about is people aren't really uplifted by this image of perfection. All that is, is this unrealistic thing that they feel diminished by. People are uplifted by seeing the real. And working hard and trying to do the best we can and building happiness and acceptance, but they're uplifted by learning the real. And I had to learn that with myself, too. And that, that was hard. It was really hard. Well, yeah, because it's like, let me take this nice, shiny protective bubble I have built around myself so that I don't have to get rejected and risk breaking it down and who knows what happening. Yeah. And I would have never done it on my own. I had to be forced into it, really, which was through my recovery. You know, I got to that point where, you know, that song, that Disney song, Let It Go. There's a, a couple lines in there. One of them where it says, mm. that perfect girl is gone. And then there's another one that says, well, now they know. <laughs> and that's how I felt, you know, in my, in my last drunk, um, somebody had found me and I was, I was going to kill myself. And that person, I kind of came to as they were calling my husband saying, you've got to come home. She's going to kill herself. I had to go to the doctor. I had to put it on my record, my medical record, record that I have a dependency to alcohol and and I just felt like, you know, I'd been hiding for so long. And this is the very worst thing I could possibly have in my mind that they could find out. And well, now they know. And I have nothing left to hide. And honestly, one of the things I love that I've learned in recovery is they call that, you know, your, your rock bottom. 
whatever, whatever it is. And everybody's is different. You know, everybody's rock bottom in all areas too. It's different. But rock bottom is a really solid foundation to move up from. And it's not fun. It's not a fun place to be at all, but it's really solid. And I was able to build a whole new life on that rock bottom. And it's a really, really good life. It's better than it was before. In fact, it's better than I could have ever imagined. And not because of big accomplishments, but because of the me inside that's changed in so many ways and healed in so many ways. I didn't know I needed to heal. You know, I didn't even know I was hurting as bad as I was until I got to the other side and I thought, wow, mm-hmm. who knew it could be this much better? I didn't know that was even on the plate. I didn't know it was on the table. Wow. What did that process look like for you? Or does it look like for you? Because I suspect it's not a, it's not a start, stop, <laughs> beginning, end. No. Mm-hmm. No, it's an ongoing thing. It looked like a lot of community. It looked like a lot of meetings, a lot of being honest and listening to other people being honest. I have a big part of my life is I have a very, very strong faith base. Now, that's something that's super, super important to me. And there's an old quote in my faith tradition about walking in the light and the value of walking in the light. And that's what I do in this community. I'm able to, I've learned to let people in, let them see all the things, all the feelings. And and not just, I used to, there was a time when I would be fine with telling people about something I'd gone through. Once I was on the other side of it and had this story of overcoming and I was the hero of the story, then I was okay with sharing it. But when I was in the middle and maybe I wasn't making the best choices and I wasn't feeling feelings that I thought were socially acceptable, you know, like maybe I'm in the middle of a a pity party. You know, I ended up in a group of people that were willing to share that stuff in the middle of it. And so in that community, I've been able to face stuff and face the reality that this is just being human. This is what being a real person looks like. Humility is a word that we, we throw around a lot. It's something that we talk about all the time, which I don't know if it's the opposite of ego, but it's kind of in a lot of ways. Um, And humility is just that belief that I am no better than, I'm no worse than, I am one of. You know, you talked in the middle about humanizing our experiences. Things don't happen to me because the world is out to get me. Things don't happen because everybody hates me or because everybody reveres me. It's just life, you know, and that puts everything in perspective. Another way to define humility is just being right-sized. You know, yep, I've got things about me that are really good. And yep, I've got things about me that are not good at all. And you know what? That's, Mm. I'm human. I can mess up. I remember seeing a quote one time, and I love this because I I struggle. I struggle. I I still struggle Mm -hmm. with like when I make a mistake. I hate making a mistake. I always feel so bad. And I remember seeing a meme on Facebook that said that a mistake, that keeps me humble is better than an accomplishment that makes me arrogant. And it's mm-hmm. powerful, right? And it sounds all well and good and like, yeah, until you're in the moment <laughs> and you make them mistake. <laughs> and you're like, oh, I hate that I did this. And I have to remember, but that's, that's good because I don't need to, 
I don't need to go to that other side. You know, that other side of ego is precarious and dangerous, and it's not a happy place to be. It's like balancing on the head of a pin. Any little thing can knock you off. It sounds like the opposite of rock bottom, that place where you are, there's nowhere else to go, so gravity's got you in place. And maybe oftentimes it's the place right before rock bottom. Pride mm-hmm. comes before a fall. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. How has your healing impacted the ways you give and receive love, Lisa? Oh, completely. Absolutely, completely. Because again, I wasn't able to ever really be real. So a lot of my love, I would describe today as philanthropy. Because it was one side, I was great at giving. I was great at giving the love, at doing the things for other people, but not so great at receiving. And today it's relationship. Relationship goes way. Philanthropy goes one way. But relationship goes both ways. And I am able, because I am I do let people in, I am able today to have real relationships. I'm able to recognize that, you know what, I've made mistakes in my life and I can face those. And because of that, I know other people are going to too. I don't expect anybody to be perfect. I don't expect anybody to never let me down even. You know, they're going to because they are. And I'm going to let them down too. I'm going to try not to. But I will because, you know, it's just part of being human. And that impacts everything. I'm able to accept people. I'm able to hear people and love them where they are and believe that they really are doing the best they can in those situations. I know you said that at the very beginning, and I truly believe that too. That's important. You know, that everybody's coming from their perspective with where they've been and and it's not my job to change anybody. It's just my, my personal belief is I'm put on this earth just to love them, wherever they are, you know. And as long as, as I've healed inside, this is something that I've learned, a lot of my responses in the past to other people that were not so positive were because it was scratching a wound inside of me that had not healed. But once that wound has healed, it doesn't hurt so bad. You know, if I have an open cut on my arm and I touch it, it hurts a lot. But the scar doesn't hurt as much because it's healed inside. And as I've healed inside that stuff that other people do, I'm able to see their behaviors as their behaviors and not necessarily a reflection on me. It's easier for me now to be able to say, no, their behaviors on them. They're acting that way because there's something inside them that hurts. You know, a very good friend of mine says all the time. Mm. hurt people hurt people, you know, and not hurt people don't hurt people as much. I mean, it it works all ways, but that helps me to not internalize it and not think it's getting over the ego, right? It's not always all about me. Even if they want me to think it is, even if they think it is, it might not be. It might not be. Things either awfulize or Mm. minimize up in my head. I'll go one or the other. Things that maybe I should be thinking more of, I'll push under the carpet and pretend didn't happen. Mm-hmm. And like, they don't matter. Or I'll go the other way and I'll just awfulize everything. Oh, it's the end of the world. This happened. This is going on, whatever. But when I'm with people, it helps to give me a perspective mm-hmm. that right-sizes mm-hmm. all that stuff. It just right-sizes. Yep, it's going on. 
not the end of the world. Other people have gone through it too. Um, there are ways through this. I can get to the other side. Yeah. And I think it lets us know ourselves and it lets us be known when we acknowledge and admit these things. For me, one of my, and I, I talk a lot about scripts and you've been so generous in sharing some of the ways that you speak to yourself and what it sounds like and looks like to do this work. And I think that is so important because otherwise we have a lot of trouble recognizing our own scripts. And so one of my scripts that I've written for myself that I repeat in different domains of my life, especially in friendship and in relationship with my husband and even in relationship with my children is just sharing, hey, there's this thing I'm thinking or feeling and I have no idea if it's true. So is it okay if I bounce it off of you to see if it's true through your perspective? Because like if I talk about the example with my husband, it's often I have this pretty unwarranted worry most of the time that when he is having a bad day, it's because of something I have done, that I am somehow to blame for his mood or upset. Now, I walk around believing that with absolute certainty until I ask it or speak it aloud to him. But now that we have this understanding that I have that tendency to internalize blame for things that are not my fault, I can go to him and say, hey, I'm noticing you're a little bit off. Oh, hey, now he feels seen and acknowledged for whatever's going on with him. And then I can say, you know that thing I do where I think it's my fault? Did I do something here? And invariably, he says, oh, gosh, no. I just had a really rough day at work. So it opens up space for him to communicate his truth, for me to share these feelings that if I hold them and I think this guy is mad at me for something I didn't do, I'm going to feel pretty bad and pretty annoyed with him for being mad at me about something that I didn't do that he wasn't mad at me for. Uh, <laughs> it lets us all just bring our truth to the table. And I find without those conversations, the imagination blocks. Especially when it's coming from a wound. Yes. And it blocks any sense of intimacy or connection. Yeah. And that's what ego does. Yes. You know, inside we all have this, you know, inner child that wants to connect and wants to love and wants to forgive and move forward and be happy. You know, like a little child, they just want to play. They just want to snuggle and sing lullabies together you know there's this beautiful thing and the ego it's got all the pride and all the stuff that's all the wounds and it's trying to keep us apart there's this beautiful if you google it inner child sculpture and it's it's a beautiful sculpture and it's it's a couple it's a man and a, I assume it's a man and a wife I don't know but it's a couple and they're back to back and it's just it's kind of a wire outline of them and then you can see insides the little children touching hands just wanting to connect underneath all of that, you know? But I mean, the ego, in my opinion, I think was formed for a reason, you know, is these ways that we try to protect ourselves through hard things that we've gone through. And, and it's our response based on other hurts that we've gone through. And yeah, I mean, it makes sense why it's there, but it doesn't always serve us well forever no. in every situation. And there's a, there's a process of learning. No. It's, it's okay. And some of it's just not true. 
Like you said, I mean, everything's just not always about us, you know? And we can transfer experiences from other domains in our lives into new domains and assume that the same thing is happening or the same response or reaction will come. And so in the absence of data or information, we are going to go into the imagination. And most of the time, our imagination is just there to protect us. And in the end, it it ends up not doing it. Interestingly enough, it's trying to protect us. And in the end, it can cause us a lot more pain. Whereas living a community, which in the moment, when you're going through something hard, when I'm going through something hard, in the moment, sometimes that vulnerability is the last thing I want. But it's the thing that's going to help me the most. Now, um, I remember a couple of, if, I don't know, a couple months ago, somebody, somebody had said that I had done something that had upset them. I went through pure shame storm. Absolute, I'm a horrible person. Oh, no. And, and all of the mm-hmm. defenses that come up in that moment, which, which are, you know, first anger and I want to lash back and I want to, I want to deny it. I want to rationalize and go into all these things. But then my next step was going to be, well, fine, I'm just going <laughs> to quit everything. I hurt somebody. I'm just going to quit everything. I'm going to stop doing anything. There's other things. I guess I'm a failure, whatever. And it, that wanting to hide. And I knew in that moment, as soon as I had that thought that I'm wanting to hide, mm. this is a shame storm. And so mm-hmm. I just Googled it. <laughs> Because I, I know, I know about them and I knew mm-hmm. what it was going to tell me, but I needed to read it. And this says, you know, really to do the absolute opposite and to get real mm-hmm. in a safe place. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's really mm-hmm. important to say, too, because I can't be real everywhere all the time with, with everyone because everyone is not safe. But I do have a large community of people who are, you know, and I that night I went and I, I didn't necessarily share exactly what had happened because that would have been betraying a confidence. And that would have been me trying to get them on my side. And I didn't want to do that either. But I did need to share, I'm going through this really bad thing right now. I'm feeling this shame storm and I needed to talk about it and I need to be real. And I just want you to know I feel really, really awful right now. I'm going to get through it. I feel really awful at the moment. And I also find it's helpful if I can, well, number one, name the emotion, which in that moment was a shame storm but also to identify where in my body I'm feeling it. Mm. Because there's always something physical that goes with it. A lot of times it's in my stomach and I'll feel like a nausea or a tightening. Um, I'll get tightening in my shoulders with different anxiety. Um, Sometimes it's head pressure in the head. I mean, but that, I don't know what it does, but it helps me, I guess, just to realize this is real. This is normal. Everybody goes through it sometimes. It doesn't mean I'm a horrible human being. Yep, I might have made a mistake. Everybody makes mistakes. I spend an entire year, you know, talking about these things you tell yourself, these, these sounds. I spend an entire year where my mantra, and this was maybe two years after I got sober, my whole mantra all year long was, I am allowed mm-hmm. to be human. And anytime one of those things would happen and I would start going through all those feelings, I would say to myself, I'm human too. I'm allowed to be human. You are so much for so many. As I'm thinking about this, I'm thinking about how you are in a position of support and service in your health community, your recovery community, your church community, your family, your friend groups. You give a lot. What helps you? balance 
and preserve your own well-being and support yourself while offering and providing so much support to so many people and groups? What a great question. So there's so many things. Some of it is the stuff we just talked about, realizing that I'm human too. I'm much more interested in all of those areas. I'm much more interested in relationship than philanthropy. So realizing that it's, I'm not up here looking down, helping people. I'm on the same level. I'm right there with them. I'm next to them and being willing to share my stuff at the same time. And it being a give and take, being willing to accept their love, accept their help. At the same time, I'm giving my love and giving my help. It's a relationship. It's a back and forth. Not keeping score either, though, I have to say. You know, mm-hmm. realizing that it's that's not going to be like even with everybody all the time. And that's okay. That's totally fine. You know, it's but that's important to me. Realize that it's a relationship. It's it's not a place of superiority. You know, that's I don't want to go there. But I I also, you know, I've learned, like I said, about the humility thing. I'm human. I get tired. And when I'm tired, I sleep. I need to make sure I protect my sleep. I am the queen <laughs> of nap. <laughs> I take a nap almost every day and I find a way to work it into the middle. You know, the way my work schedule is, I usually go in the morning, then I come home and then I go back later in the evening or or whatever it is. And, and I'll, I'll get a nap in almost every single day. So that's really important to me. I have go-to people that I lean on, you know. I have to say, I mean, there's so many, but in particular, my husband is my person. You know, he is my rock and I am his too. I know it's the two of us leaning on each other, but there's been a couple times in my life that I've had full on anxiety attacks. Absolute full on, can't breathe. I feel like my heart's beating a thousand miles an hour. I didn't know if I should go to the hospital. I could not get myself out of it. I remember one where I literally couldn't come up with any reason why it was happening, but the physical, it was happening. And all it took was his arms just to sit. That's my Mm -hmm. love language. You know, there's all these love languages, minus the physical touch. Just sitting with his arms around me, it, it was crazy what it did. I could breathe. And I know this about myself now. So I know to seek it out when I need it. You know, I know I need him to hold my hand. I have this fear of the dentist. I had a bad experience at the dentist once. And ever since then, I just had this horrible fear. And like during COVID, they didn't want, they didn't want anyone to come in. But I said, I've got this thing. I'm so nervous. I need my husband. And they let him come in, but he had to be at the foot. So he just, he literally held my feet. He put his Mm -hmm. hands on my feet while they did what they did. And I got through it. You know, I, but I, I know that I need this. I know I need hugs. I need cuddles. I need, I need that snuggle. And I also know that I need that, the relationships around me. You know, and here's an example of that. Sometimes other people can see things in me that I don't see and can't quite figure out. And I recognize that and I invite their help. I had a situation a, a few weeks ago and um, I remember saying to my friend, I don't know what it is with me. I just feel off. I don't know what that, I don't know why, I don't, I don't know what's going on. Well, I kind of knew why. There was some stuff going on. But I said, I kind of feel off. And she looked at me and she said, well, you've got X, Y, and Z going on. You're just emotionally exhausted. And I said, oh my gosh, you're right. That's exactly it. And once we named it, I knew what to do. 
I went home and I just watched some mindless TV for a while, which is something I almost never do. I don't really care much for TV, but I needed to not think and not interact for a while and just veg. I needed to veg out. And having that out that outside input to help me see things that I don't see was really, really helpful. Right now we're going through a saying my husband recently was diagnosed with cancer. I do feel it's very treatable, I hope. We don't know all the details yet. We're still in the waiting. We have chosen to communicate with people about it. Even our kids, in the very beginning, at first we were going to wait until we had all the information. But we thought, no, they need to see us go through the waiting too. Because there's going to be a day when they're going to have to wait. And I really, really feel, I feel like I'm doing all right. You know, my faith is really carrying me. I'm trying to make my one of my mantras. My main mantra now is stay in the moment, do the next right thing. That's carrying me. I'm, I'm valuing this moment. I'm filled with gratitude that I get to walk with him through something really, really hard that we don't have to do it alone, that we've got each other, that we have the relationship that we do. The one thing I do notice is I'm tired, but I really don't feel like I'm worried. I don't feel like I'm stressed, but I have invited those really close to me to watch me and let me know if they see something that I miss. Because I do know that it is my tendency to be in denial about things and for things to be perfectly fine until they're not. (laughs) And then, boom, all of a sudden I'm a mess. (laughs) So I'm hoping maybe if that's going to happen, someone will see, but maybe it won't. Maybe, Maybe it'll be fine too, but it's good to have other eyes. I need Again, I need supervision. And you understand that? Because you have learned yourself. Yeah. And I know it's okay to ask because I love helping someone else. And I give them the opportunity then to be there for me. And that helps, you know, the opportunity without making it an obligation, I guess. But that's they, they get something out of helping just like I do. So why would I deny them that? Yeah. Why would you deny you that either? And yet we do uh, for fear and ego, <laughs> and you have done the work to learn yourself. What has been most helpful to you in learning your needs? Hitting bottom, probably. Mm-hmm. You know, going through really hard stuff and being able to get to the other side and look back and mm-hmm. say, wow, that mm-hmm. really helped me. Look at all the blessing. Look at all the value that came from that really hard saying, and then doing the work. I am in a recovery program and the steps, the recovery steps that really make you look inside and do the hard work and do the hard stuff and face yourself and face the monsters in the closet. All of that has really led to everything. There's a lot of attention in your story, a lot of willingness to show up for yourself, for others with integrity. And I said that the word that comes to mind for me when I think of you is love. But if I had to choose or got to choose a second word, I would choose integrity. You, in the toughest of times, like this moment, which can be full of fear and uncertainty and unknown, you are facing it with the same truth and authenticity an integrity that defines you in the most beautiful and promising moments. And as I listen to you, I am 
reminded again and again of the importance and the value of time and detention. And so with these last moments, we're going to do something that Lisa and I have done together many, many, many times. We're going to invite you listeners out there to join us. Bring one hand to your gut and tune into that little inner voice that guides you. And with your eyes closed, I invite you to reflect on Lisa's story. On the little moments when she said something today that sparked a sense of recognition in you. That little voice that said, hey, tune in to this message. And ask yourself what those messages sparks might mean for you at this point in your life. Perhaps you (laughs) want to take a moment to journal on these sparks. And if so, go ahead, hit pause. Lisa and I will be here when you get back. And if you would be helped by a transcript of this conversation, I feel like Lisa's story is jam-packed with so much wisdom and insight that I know I want to go back and just really spend some time with it. Head over to theupliftherspodcast.com and we'll have the transcript waiting for you there along with lots of other opportunities to get to know Lisa and her story, as well as all the other uplifters that you've met on this show who've so generously shared their lived experiences with all of us. Lisa, thank you. Thank you, Aransas. This has been such an honor. I love you so much, and you know that. You absolutely know that. You are one of my heroes. I feel like I am better every time I spend time with you. And... That is something I have intentionally cultivated in my life is a circle of human beings that uplift me. So thank you for being my uplifter, a teacher, an inspiration, a friend, a guide. I'm grateful for you. I'm grateful for your struggles and I'm grateful for what they've given all of us who get the opportunity to learn and grow alongside you. Thank you so much. Uplifters, I'll see you over at theupliftherspodcast.com. Thank you for listening to the Uplifters Podcast. If you're getting a boost from these episodes, please share them with the uplifters in your life and then join us in conversation over at theupliftherspodcast.com. Head over to Spotify, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast and like, follow, and rate our show. It'll really help us connect with more uplifters and it'll ensure you never miss one of these beautiful stories. Big love. Painted water sunshine with rosemary and thyme. Dwell in the perplexing, though you find it vexing. Toss a star and hover, be your own best lover. Relish in a new prime, plant a tree in springtime. Dance with that old hindsight, bring the 
sun to twilight Lift you up Whoa Lift you up Whoa Lift you up Whoa Lift you up Lift you up Whoa Mommy, stop crying. Mommy, stop crying. You're disturbing the peace.